You're listening to Dose of Depth Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Lukovich, and I invite you to be curious about your unique experience of being human. In this podcast, we'll explore the deeper meaning of ordinary life experiences through conversation, stories, and education. You might have a serious aha moment, or you might just be amused by the movie your life seems to be imitating, or you might just be entertained by one of my awkward stories. I'm hoping you'll become more aware of those moments when a deeper part of you is prompting you to see things differently and maybe even go a new direction. So let's get started. In this episode, I continue reading from my book, Your Soul is Talking. Are you listening? Five Steps to Uncovering Your Hidden Purpose. Chapters 1 through 15 explore the different ways your unconscious tries to get your attention. The remaining chapters will give you specific strategies to explore different kinds of images, go deeper into psychological type, and there's a chapter devoted to Jungian film theory. I also share stories about how certain images evolved over time for me in how they showed up and in their meaning. In this episode, I'll be reading chapter 21, where we dig a little deeper into your personal shadow and take on the tricky topic of projection. You've probably come across this concept of projection over the past couple of years. It's become a part of daily conversation. Projection is easier to see in another individual than in yourself, and it's easiest to see in extreme versions. For example, when one person or group grounds their position in righteous language and extreme and warped interpretations of religious doctrine, there's projection going on. A big clue that projection is present is when an individual or group uses language such as good versus evil when referring to some person, group, or idea they perceive as different in a way they can't handle. The projection onto the other, the demonizing of the other, reveals the lack of capacity for self-awareness, self-reflection, and managing the tension between what they know and something unknown. The root of projection is fear and the inability to face something in themselves that they have projected onto someone that acts as a scapegoat. The more righteous and steadfast, the less capacity for rational thinking, and the more likely that the person projecting is in fact hiding something related to the projection. This is an old story that includes many so-called righteous religious leaders who secretly practice what they demonize in others. Unfortunately, when more and more individuals get swept up in a projection, this can happen on a collective level. German citizens are more aware than most of how one can get swept up and end up participating in acts that go against what they profess to be their values. What do we do about this? Well, the collective is made up of a collection of individuals. Humans relate through projection. Every single one of us is attracted to or repelled by a person, idea, something at varying degrees by forces in our unconscious that sometimes are beginning to come out of the shadow. For example, those who you admire or put on a pedestal are mirroring back traits that your unconscious might want you to develop in yourself. Those who repel you can be mirroring back something ugly in yourself. And those for whom you feel a mixture of admiration and disdain could be mirroring back something that your unconscious would love for you to embrace, but you feel shame or discomfort claiming this part of yourself. It can get confusing, which is why self-reflection is critical. It is clearer than ever that C.G. Jung was correct in saying something like, these are my words, the fate of humanity depends upon the self-reflecting individual 
who can see their own potential darkness. Romantic relationships where a couple is swept up as if they've been overtaken by body snatchers, and the endings of the relationships are typically as dramatic as their beginnings unless the couple has awareness, but reflecting about these experiences, whether they belong to you personally or others you've just watched experience this, are a wonderful way to learn more about your own unconscious and to also look at them as mini versions of collective projection. So let's get started. Chapter 21, Personal Shadow, Projection. Chapter 14 introduced you to the concept of projection, making others responsible for expressing parts of you that you're not able to acknowledge or accept. This chapter delves into the projection that is beneath the surface of romantic relationships and relationships with people for whom you feel both admiration and disdain. Relationships with others is how people come to know themselves as separate individuals. Projection is sneaky. It takes a high degree of awareness to realize that the reason you think your now sober brother-in-law is boring is because part of you knows you have a drinking problem and you fear you will be boring if you stop drinking. Projection happens, for example, when we admire a trait in someone else, sometimes putting that person on a pedestal. The admiration is a mirror to a trait within yourself that you may not see or have the confidence to use or been told you weren't supposed to express. A husband may project his feminine onto his wife, idealizing her nurturing capacity in an unconscious effort to avoid his own feminine nature. The problem with this is that when his wife does not act in a way that conforms with his ideal version of the feminine, he might become angry with her for not meeting his unconscious expectations. The masculine, which is part of everyone's psyche, refers to that more linear and goal-oriented approach to relating to the world. The masculine likes clarity and simple answers. When the masculine is developed to the exclusion of the feminine, the individual becomes rigid and threatened by people and ideas that do not conform to their personal beliefs. The feminine, which is also part of everyone's psyche, refers to the capacity to exist in the middle, between this or that, appreciates paradox, and is more relationship-oriented. Women who do not develop their masculine nature sometimes force their husbands to carry it for them. These women often do not have their own ideas or opinions. There are other women who have developed their masculine in a way that has made it difficult for them to embrace their feminine. Falling in love. Sexual attraction is full of projection and new romances offer opportunities for deep transformation. In my first post-divorce relationship, it was my male partner's sense of feminine that unleashed my own. Being comfortable with your feminine requires the capacity to be awkward and vulnerable, two traits that got a workout during my relationship. This is how opposites work. We are attracted to people who represent pieces of us that wish to come out and play. We project an awful lot onto that magical other. The college-age women who project their financial independence onto men might wonder why their husbands might be intrigued by professional women later on. Men who project onto women everything having to do with family might wonder why their wives no longer want to have sex with them. Each romance is an opportunity for growth. I don't believe there is necessarily such a thing as the one, and maybe it's growth that should be prioritized over longevity. Or could it be that focusing on spiritual and psychological growth increases the chances of longevity? The exception seems to prove the rule that one person and one relationship cannot possibly meet the psychological and spiritual needs of a person forever. Why do we demand it be so? 
There are those rare couples whose relationship allows for mutual growth, and in all cases, relationships act as life courses for spiritual and psychological growth, no matter how long they last. Try this. Have you ever been so swept up in a new romance you found yourself doing things that you previously judged as wrong? You double-checked with your mind to confirm that these new desires were not wrong, but you had been so closed off from certain parts of yourself for so long, expressing them challenged your old assumptions about what was right and wrong. This is where you need to call on your own higher sense of morality and truth. What once felt wrong suddenly could be right. The process of getting there requires a partnership between your body, mind, and soul, a back and forth, a push and pull, a new desire is communicated by your soul through your body. Whoosh, it sometimes feels like. Your ego automatically judges it as wrong because that's not what you've been indoctrinated to believe. Your mind is a little critical thinking and you come to a decision to try out this new desire, but you include some caveats. You begin to relate to the new desire and you won't get it perfect right away, but over time you'll settle into a more balanced relationship with it. Be kind to yourself in the process. It is a brave person who sets out on the journey to discover truth for themselves. Journal about your romantic experiences. Start with the very first time you felt that twinge of attraction. Describe the moments of attraction in as much detail as possible. What was your age? Where were you? What did you feel? Which traits attracted you most? Were you attracted to what they had achieved in life or their family background? What did you admire about them? Keep writing, especially about the ones that didn't turn out. Are there traits that became irritations? What pattern or theme can you find that connects the experiences? Sharing my insights. One day I journaled about every attraction I had ever experienced, 12 pages, single spaced. My first attraction was in fifth grade to a boy named Darren. A mere three feet separated Darren's body from mine as our desks faced each other. I was an insecure and self-conscious girl and looking up at him caused me to feel completely naked. I have a memory of the two of us sneaking into the supply room. Nothing happened, but the harsh scolding was the beginning of being trained to feel shame for all sorts of things. That school year was my first and last year at a new Catholic elementary school. My next attraction was the boy in seventh grade I spoke about earlier. And on I went. Going back and reading what I had written made me realize that in these moments of deep attraction, I was connecting with something transcendent. The moment of connection with another human being acted as a vessel for the divine to reach me. I now understand that soulmates are not so much about being perfect partners, but about making soul, finding truth, which sometimes requires you to challenge convention. Try this. Did you marry your mother or father? Journal about how a version of your parents' relationship might exist below the surface of your own marriage or relationship. Does that make you cringe? When did you realize you were like your mother or father or their opposite? Many people don't become aware of this dynamic until after divorce. Your parents were your first model for romantic relationship. Journal about what you think might have been the hidden purpose of your marriage and what you have been projecting onto your partner. Journal about the roles you and your partner tend to play in the relationship. For example, who disciplines the children? Once it was clear my marriage was ending, my unconscious unleashed all the things I had sought to be protected from during my marriage. The wounds related to my sexuality and spirituality. My safety net was gone now. Try this. 
people you admire who also make you cringe. Do you hate your boss and respect her too? The trait that you perceive to be negative might be the one you need to develop. Can your mother or father still make you feel like a scolded child, but you also respect their authority? Maybe you need to strengthen your own authoritative voice. Is your mind a constant tennis match between two different parts of your personality? Do you feel both disgust and admiration for someone you know, a celebrity, or a fictional film character? If you want to know more about yourself, explore your relationships, good, bad, past, present, including those with people whom you've never even met in person. Don't forget about the relationship with your inner being or self. For example, I have always been an opinionated person, but I cringe at the memories of me having debates back in my 20s. Debates with people who demonize poor women with children as welfare queens. Over the years, I've toned myself down and I've learned every possible communication technique there is for influencing others to see injustice in places where it's quite obvious to me. Because people do not always see what I see, anger at what I perceive to be their ignorance can quickly turn to self-judgment for being too opinionated. Funny for a self-proclaimed rebel. In these instances, I remind myself that my opinions are founded in the basic human right to dignity. What trait are you proud of and at the same time feel discomfort using? This chapter delved into the projection that is beneath the surface of romantic relationships and those people for whom you feel both admiration and disdain. Which traits are hiding in your unconscious, traits that are begging to come out and play? I hope you enjoyed my reading of chapter 21 and you're ready to begin exploring what's beneath the surface through your reactions to others. Those for whom you have the strongest reactions offer the juiciest insights. Don't worry though, if you discover you have an intense reaction to someone you perceive to be selfish or passive aggressive, for example, the insight could be that you need to set a boundary or be more selfish during this phase of your life. So it's not that you're like that person, but that you need to develop a trait that they're maybe overdoing. Get what I mean? You can find more free content, follow me on Instagram, engage with 3,000 plus Twitter followers, take advantage of free mini lessons on my YouTube channel, and read some of my awkward short stories, all via my website, deborahlukovich.com. And you can buy my book. Thanks for listening and sharing with others who need my framework for self-reflection. Until next time. I'm your host, Deborah Lukovich, and you are listening to Dose of Depth Podcast. To get updates on new episodes, my writing, and how I teach my clients to get to know that deeper part of themselves, go to DebraLukovich.com. Oh, and if you're not ready for a coach, Learn what my clients know in my book, Your Soul is Talking. Are you listening? Five steps to uncovering your hidden purpose. You can check it out on my website or get it on Amazon.